Welcome to Who Are You? The Life Lessons of Sports, episode 130. Welcome to Who Are You? The Life Lessons of Sports with your host, Rob Elwood. Join us as we open the door and take an unforgettable journey to unlock the full power of sports on and off the field. Listen to personal stories and reflections from incredible leaders who are sure to move and inspire you. So listen and enjoy another episode of Who Are You? The Life Lessons of Sports. My dad wrote me an email and it was like, Justin, if you make an Olympic team, it's great. If not, you've far exceeded any expectations we had for you in the sport. And um, we support you and in, in your, in your journey, you know, either way. And like that almost gave me the freedom to, to not have so much weight on my back competing at the Olympic uh, trials, knowing I had to do this for my family and do this for the who. And so, you know, it was like, it was like, I'm here because I want to be here and this is fun. I think that's why I did so well in such high pressure situations. Okay, Who Are You Nation? I am extremely honored to introduce our special guest today, Justin Spring. Justin, how are you today? I'm doing good. Excited to be on the show. Can't, uh, thanks for having me. Oh, fantastic. Well, we are excited to have you as well. I know you are currently being prepared for the upcoming academic year. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing, where you are, and I know you're coaching. And Give us an update about yourself, if you don't mind. Yeah, so... Um I am the going into my fifth season as the head coach for the University of Illinois men's gymnastics team. Um, I've been on campus now at the University of Illinois for um, going on my what, what, what year is this? So going on my twelfth <laughs> year, thirteenth year. Yeah. Because um, I I came here, I was recruited here as an athlete, um, made an Olympic team here while training on campus as an assistant coach, and then that kind of opened the gates for them to take a chance on me as a head coach of the program about five years ago and. Um, been very fortunate and successful, and it's it's been never a job I thought I was going to take on, um, but now one that I can't imagine uh, ever leaving. So it's it's been a it's been a crazy ride the last twelve years here at the, in Champaign, Urbana, Illinois. There we go. Well, I'm sure you're taking advantage of the nice warm weather right now. It soon changes that from <laughs> yeah. what I've heard. <laughs> well, this is great. Well, I'm going to get back to some of your coaching responsibilities and experiences a little bit later because I really do want to learn from where you've been and how you've applied that to now working with others that are under your tutelage, so to say. But Justin, just to get us started, I always like to start off with a motivational or inspirational quote, one that's meant something very special to you along your journey so far in life. Um. Yeah, so I, you know, I, I've been a little bit more into quotes now as a as a coach, um, not as much as an athlete. I, I feel like you just have t- so much tunnel vision as an athlete. You're just fixated on getting things done. And as I look back at my athletic career and working with athletes now and as a coach, um, one of my favorite ones now and kind of came from my greatest learning lesson um, is so it goes. I guess it goes like this: it's it's not about if you win, it's not about winning or losing, but making the effort to win. Mm. And I, I think that that um, speaks so heavily to what's wrong a little bit with our generation, you know, having a, a growth mindset, having grit, you know, sticking and committing to a long-term goal and not letting, you know, the speed bumps along the road kind of shut you down halfway through what getting to what you really want, you know. So there's – it's because if you take, you know, the little hiccups as losses and, and failures and you quit and you're done, then – Oh man, you're not you're not going to go very far, you know. It's it's about sticking to something, continuing to make the effort to push, 
um, and persevere. And I mean, that, that was, that's very indicative of how I survived through my career uh, as an athlete. And so I just, that resonates with me very much as a coach and an athlete. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. And I feel like the next question we will meld two of these together, but do us a favor, take us back into your childhood. And we're talking around that 10 to 12 year old age range before high school. Can you describe what it was like in your family as well as what sports and academics meant to you back then? Yeah. So I, um, so I grew up, um, I lived with somewhat of a, like a real life superhero. My, my dad was a, um, had just a crazy past even back, you know, 15 years ago. He, he graduated from West Point, served two tours in Vietnam, was a helicopter pilot. Um, was an experimental test pilot for two years for the Navy. Um, said, you know, that's not enough. Applied to the NASA program, got into NASA, was an astronaut, went up in space in the shuttle of Atlantis in 1985. Um, and just all these, these crazy, um, was an aerospace engineer, just had all the, you know, so I grew up with like that in my house and was always fascinated and fixated on being a pilot mm-hmm. and um, flying and you know being part of the military and just and that was really my for as long as I can remember that was really my focal point in my entire life and had picked up a lot of sports and um, certainly was into sports always the gymnastics obviously since I was very young my dad was a gymnast at West Point so was my mom uh, she was in Arizona. Um, wildcat, you know, gymnast, but uh, gymnastics, again, really didn't take the forefront of my life until a little bit later in high school and realizing that, that it could be kind of a free ticket to, to a university of my choosing. Um, but it was more about, you know, academics. My dad always pushed academics hard and we fought because I was a little bit of a scatterbrained wild child. <laughs> so um, loved playing sports around the neighborhood um, anything and everything that I could get my hands into, I, I like to, 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 to figure it out. And it was one that was pretty good at everything, um, but quick to turn away from things that I wasn't good at. And so, you know, tended to focus on, um, very competitive, I guess is what I'm saying. Like really only like to take on things that I was going to be good at and maybe win. Cause I hated losing, hated losing so much, even, even as a little kid. So that's something that I definitely remember. Yeah. Well, you had a really good line back then as a kid, I'm guessing, with if you you said you were a wild child and, and if you ever got kind of, you know, hey, taken behind and said, Hey son, you gotta settle down, be like, Hey dad, you know what? Yeah, you go up into space, okay? Yeah. <laughs> like I don't wanna hear about it. I well, I won the I won the argument in high school, you know, well my dad can beat up your dad or my dad's smarter than your dad. I was like, My dad's an astronaut, man. <laughs> What is your dad, a rocket scientist? Actually, yes, he's an aerospace engineer. He is a rocket scientist. So I won that battle in, you know, second or third grade quite a bit. <laughs> oh, that's great. What a, what a fascinating childhood. And so to, I've actually asked some questions about your dad and mom and being gymnasts and, of course, the, the careers they then took on, which you had to experience and got to experience, which sounds really exciting. But you mentioned sports. What kind of sports did you play? Because gymnastics didn't come in later on into your young adult life. Uh, at least to take the, 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 the forefront of my life. You know, I was huge into diving. The spatial awareness is super important for gymnastics and diving, so that kind of seemed to play very close together. But I did soccer, um, tried baseball out, um, definitely played roller hockey uh, in the cul-de-sac in my neighborhood quite a bit. Got into that for a bunch of summers as a kid. Um, I was definitely a gym class hero. You know, I, I loved taking on lots of sports, and I, I think – it wasn't always that I was the most talented necessarily in some of the sports, but that I always played super aggressive and super hard. Again, I was just very competitive. And, um, you know, one of the lines that defined me when, from when I was younger was I used to get called a show-off. 
Um, and it, and it drove me crazy. And that, you know, and later I, I maybe looked back and realized that kids were just mad that I would beat them. But in the moment, like I didn't know how else to play other than a hundred percent. Like if we're going to play a little fun rec game in the backyard, like I'm I'm, I'm there to win. Right. I'm there to be aggressive and play sports because sports for me, was about being competitive and winning. And I really excelled in them and I love that element. So, um, but that that kind of earned me the, the the title show off, or you know, and I, I I hated that. I hated being called show off. I hated the idea of of people thinking I I don't know. I just and it, it really changed for me. Like being being humble and success, I think really was defined as a really important thing for me because of that of how much that comment maybe in second third grade drove me crazy. Right. Of being a show off, and I just hated that. I just just because I'm winning doesn't mean I'm a show off. I just I just, I'm, I just, I won. You know, there, there's a difference. I think. Yeah, there is. Now, if you don't mind, what give me? Can you share an example or a story of when this may have come up? Because I, I get it. There's, there's definitely the the kids that are very Absolutely. competitive, right? And they win. I remember one. Yeah. I remember one vividly, and it's, I've, it's. I don't have a lot of memories of the child. People that are like, oh, I remember this when I was three. I'm like my first memories from when I'm like eight. Like I was like <laughs> I don't know how people remember the, their lives that far ago, but one that stands out to me that drove me crazy. Um, I was at I was over at a neighborhood friend's house, and they were playing the game called Knockout. Um, are you familiar? I basketball am familiar. Game? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Two basketballs. You know, you go on a line, and as long as you get your ball in before the the guy behind you gets his in, you stay in. Yep. Or if you get your ball in before. The guy in front of you, you knock him out, and you just it just goes on until someone wins. Well, I'd never played, and I made, I was like, well, I've never played, but I'll you know I'll give it a try. I'll play, and I ended up winning like two or three times in a row, mm-hmm. and I got you know they got they got really mad at me. They called me a show off. They called you know like, you know you're such a you know you're such a show off. You show here and just you know oh I've never played before, and they like ruined me mm-hmm. for being honest. I'd never played before. But one, and they got, they were really mad, and I, I I remember walking away feeling like like I'd lost, like I'd like you know like I it was a failure of I don't know like I'd lost friends and I'd never I don't know it was a miserable experience. I remember walking home being distraught, and and it's because I I was honest, and but then I won, and right. so it just from that moment on I that was like my learning lesson forever is like you 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 got to be humble, and um you know, and, and be, I don't know, just be, win with grace, you know, and, and, uh, and I guess, I mean, that was a lot of immaturity back then too, you know, everyone getting frustrated, not know how to handle other people, you know, winning and losing. But for me, that was the big thing is if I, you know, and, and always in failure, obviously, but, and, and even in winning, you've got to be, um, humble, yeah. really humble. And I just, that was always a big thing for me. Yeah, to play devil's advocate for a second, because I'm actually curious of how this set the stage later on down the road. Was this just kids being kids in this instance, or was this uh, Justin going, I own Knockout, I own this game, you know, and like jumping around the gym? And, and I say that with all, of course, you know, respect, but just trying to figure yeah, out where the reaction right. came. No, and you're right. I, you know, we were, yeah, history's written by the winners, by the victors, right? You right. know, so I, I remember it being that. I was like, I've never played before, and then now, granted, I know that when I when I'm competitive, I I play I play hard, 100%, committed, going after the win, no matter what. And so they, you know, they're probably thinking this is a friendly game, and then 
who have never played before, and then I'm like throwing elbows. And so, yeah, sure. <laughs> From the other side of the, the story, they could have been like, oh, who invited this guy? Right. But that's just like my competitive nature was, you know, if we're going to compete in anything for that, you know, mostly I'm, I'm going to win. I, I hate losing regardless of what it is. Yeah. So I'm sure that it could have been perceived from the other side of the, um, the story very differently, but I, you know, but the results were what they were. I learned that, you know, Hey, be careful of the situation you're in. People could take, you know, what you thought to be one, one thing and take it very different way. Right. So, you know, and that's, and so well, what I mean, it, now you're in organized competition. You're, you're there to win, but in, in friendly games, people, people can get mad. And, <laughs> Always. Well, what a yeah. great takeaway and, and life lesson at such a young age, especially on your own. There was no one around to, to tell you other than what's interesting about it too, is the dynamics of just kids being kids and that social interaction. And, and there is that fascinating of course you learn from it and it doesn't sound like it was something that you truly wanted to happen but moving forward it benefited but even when you win or even when you're successful you in sports are still affected by your teammates and and, and let's well, say that, you know what i mean yeah, yeah i think that you know and i you know so i have a young kid now he's two yeah. um you know i hear these soccer leagues and there's no winning in little kids sports anymore right right of course <laughs> What, well, yeah, but the, of course, that's all. Why? I know. You know, like, <laughs> that is, th- there's always a winner and loser in life. Yeah. You know, someone got the job, you didn't get the job. You know, someone got the promotion, you didn't get the promotion. You know, you, you got the deal, you didn't in sales or whatever, and team and coaching. In almost every position, there's a win or lose. If you're a teacher, you know, the kid, the kid failed and didn't move on to the next grade. You know, how did I, you know, you know there, there's always a win and lose kind of situation. And, why are we like not exposing them to that until they're in high school? You know, like, again, I was probably eight or nine or 10 when I got, you know, that was a, that was a life changing moment for me that when you win or if you win, you need to be humble. You know, like I don't, you know, and certainly that was reinforced throughout my career, but I, I just, you know, I, I go to meets and hand out medals to the 17th place finisher. Yeah. You know, yeah. As a coach or as a guest appearance because of my Olympic success. And I'm like, what are we telling that 17 place person? Yeah. No, I get it. <laughs> it's interesting you say that. I was talking to a friend the other day. We were, we were kind of, we, we saw a bunch of kids playing football out in the, in a park driving. And we just started to get on this conversation of like, what, what happened to that? And hey, look, I know it still exists because clearly we were watching it, but at the same time, it, the discussion went into a little bit of this, which is, yeah, the whole winning and losing the whole like, everybody gets a trophy and and you know there isn't let's not keep score yeah. but what is fascinating about that is you know it sounds like you grew up the same way and we're, we're sort of some, from the same area that you know you're from the burke virginia area i grew up in washington dc i don't know if that's well, something neighbors to, all get together right? assimilate and create a game right and there's no, and, there's no ref no no ref you made the rules backyard. yeah and if you if you really got too aggressive and upset or and look like you said, as part of your DNA at the time, but the the guy with or the gal with the ball, they just would take it and go home. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. It was just like, I'm going home. I'm out of here. So you had to respect the game. You had to respect the rules. If it was their ball, we knew we had to go get another ball. (laughs) Because we didn't want to stop halfway through, you know, like we knew. uh, It's no, it's so true. But is there a better place in this world to, just be and enjoy sports, but understand that your peers and everybody else are going to have to respect these rules and that guess what? 
like you said, somebody wins, somebody loses. In your case, in knockout, you won, the others didn't win. And, well, they might not have been happy, and it affected you, of course, in the short term, made you stronger later. But they probably remember that as well. They didn't like losing. <laughs> maybe. You yeah. Know? And, you know, and, and, and or maybe they realize that they're not, they don't really care that much, and they're more, True. you know, yeah. They, they, I think there's a learning lesson, again, that kind of comes back, you know, the growth mindset, or even the quote from the beginning, it's about making efforts to win. Um, and I think when you give a medal to a 17 place finisher that, you know, they're not looking back and looking at the mistakes they made and how they can be better and, and grow from this experience and learn to be better as a human being, or even in the specific sport, it's, Oh, you, you won, you did, you won this. Mm, it's so true. And I think cause that's the problem with being on top is the winner rarely stays there for a while. Cause they didn't develop this mentality that, well, it's like you got the medal, you won, so there's nothing to fix. Right. Whereas the best people, the best teams, um, learn that that's the hardest place to stay because it's so much harder to self-assess when, you, when you've won. Yep. And if we're giving everyone a medal because everyone deserves a medal, then they're always winning and they're never learning from yep. the experience. Like yeah. that's, that's the hardest part, not, not understanding how to lose um, and, and learning from it. That's, that's, and your greatest moment of failure is your greatest learning experience. You said it best perfectly. As you get older, uh, if, you, if you can't have that ingrained in your mind and mindset, then that's the, the well, and you mentioned a little bit generation, and I don't, I don't think either one of us want to go there right now, but it's kind of the whole, well, uh, I deserve the raise. I deserve the job. I deserve this. Why? Um, you know, exactly. Why? Exactly. Why? You know, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, well, it's, uh, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting dilemma that we're in, but I'm glad that it's honestly – Justin, one of the reasons I started the show is to have conversations like this and really hear from those who've experienced success through hard work, through grit, all the words you've used so far, and help spread a little love amongst those who are asking that question, why, and maybe how do we fix it? So as a coach, I think I'm going to come back to you later and maybe ask, and well, as a father as well, maybe ask some of your uh-huh. two cents. Well, he's of- only two. We're not to those life lessons yet, but... <laughs> Different lessons of, learn, co- of course, of course. Well, I do have to ask this because I could. I, I don't want angry emails after the show. I have to take advantage a little bit about your your mom and dad's experience, if you don't mind. They they're the ones who <laughs> molded you a little bit in the beginning, and it's oh, they they molded me entirely. You know, the upbringing and environmental. A lot of my friends, but obviously your parents, huge play a huge role. Yeah, and so let's just start with how they met. I mean, they're both gymnasts. How did they come together? So actually, so my dad, uh, they're 11 years apart. My dad it was back after his second tour in Vietnam, uh, just finished, get, uh, finished test pilot school, or uh, being a test pilot, an active test pilot, got his wings, was an experimental test pilot in the Navy, and said, you know what, I'm going to go back and get my master's, you know, and, and see where getting that, you know, the next, the next degree, because just riding through the military, um, they pay for everything. Um, you know, that's great. So um, he's getting his master's at Arizona, and um, that's where he met my mom. My mom grew up in Tucson, Arizona. Her family, my family, my, my mom's side of the family is all from there. I think they met at a pool, and um, I mean, at that point, I think they'd only been dating for like less than a year. By the time, by right, right at the time before my dad graduated, got accepted into the NASA program. My mom was 18 at the time, wow. and uh, my dad was. 29, mm-hmm. almost 30, and it was just one of those weird things where he's like, we've been dating for almost a year. Um, my, mom, you know, my mom's family background, not great. Um, so she's like, I stay here, and not, you know, she wasn't, she, or, I, or I shoot off 
and go with this, you know, war veteran who just got accepted into the NASA program. And yes, it's a little quick and I'm young, but that sounds like a pretty good option. Mm. And jumped aboard and that's all she wrote. That's awesome. 40 years later, I'm still married. I live in San Diego, California. Uh, I was born in Houston, you know, um, which is uh, Clear Clear Lake, right by, you know, um, by, right by where the shuttle launches. And that's it. So, I mean, that's how they met. That's great. That's great. Well, for 29 and, and 18, I mean, let's, let's say what it is. Your dad had been walking around still pretty buff back then at the pool. He was. He was a little bit, you know, I, I think my, my the quote from my dad is, when I met your mother, I had... Three three motorcycles, <laughs> and two cars, and lived in a bu- and lived in a box. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that sounds like the bachelor pad, you know. The as he says, the older you, the only difference between boys and men are their toys, you know. And um, yeah, he he was a he's wild wild child, you know. Had dirt bikes and and always always was into rock climbing. I think the first date my dad took her mountain climbing. In fact, I know that for a fact. That's great. And she kept up, could hang with him, and, and now my mom outworks. And I definitely know a lot of my genetic. Um, awesomeness to my mother. She she was very very fit, very um, very lean, very quick twitch muscles. Was all was a tennis player, um, and my dad obviously was a gymnast. But I, I think I got my 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 more my athletic genes from my mother. That's great. That's great. Now, eighty five. Your dad heads up into the space shuttle. How old are you at that point? One. One years old. Okay, so we're, like you said, first memory at eight. So I'm not even going to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen pictures, and I think that's what happened. Yeah, people look back and like, oh, I remember the shuttle, and um, I was in my grandmother's arm. No, that's a picture. I've seen a picture recently. I don't remember that. <laughs> and from family lore and stories, now, am I mistaken that that's pretty close to when the Challenger? He was the last shuttle to go up before the Challenger. That's right. Okay. He was on the survey audit crew, whatever you, you you call it. You know, he 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 was still in the NASA program when that crew went up. The shuttle exploded and they floated down to their deaths. Yes, yeah. and he knew every one of them very close, very personal. And was part of the basically the one of the many engineers that was in, was charged with figuring out what happened, what went wrong. Wow, yeah, that's not to a... say that you become you, death becomes easier after war, but. He lost a lot of good friends at Vietnam, it's, you know, so it's not like death was anything new for him, but certainly a, you know, a, well, certainly one of the most public U.S. Um, disasters in that it could have been avoided. You know, they, they were told not to launch, that these were dangerous conditions. And so, um, yeah, crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Well, it's... Uh... So that's where I remember exactly where I was that day, like most people do, other than you, you're one. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I remember 9-11. I don't remember yeah, the challenge. You were laying around hungry. <laughs> that's what I'm guessing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, wow, what, what fascination. And, and we go back to, again, those words, grit, and I can see sort of how the story starts to come together with your mental makeup. Now, high school, you, you're, you're starting – to get into gymnastics, if not a little bit earlier. But that's a little bit untraditional, is it not, to get into gymnastics so late? From the stories I hear and the people I've interviewed, uh, I'm curious on what your thoughts are on on entering the sport so late. If that's oh, even so, a right no, I, statement, if that's even a correct statement. No, yeah. So I started, so I started gymnastics when I was three. Okay, okay. My, my older sister did gymnastics. She got a scholarship to Ohio State. You know, I was a gym rat my whole life. Now, what I meant from what I was saying before is that gymnastics didn't take the full front, uh, front you know, of my attention until a little bit later, until I realized how talented I was. And you know, I was talented because I was a trickster, a little bit of a wild child, but 
And at the entry level, it's more about form and refinement and control, which I had none. Um, you know, those were things I had to later learn to, to, to ultimately get to where I wanted to get, which is an Olympics. And, but so I wasn't very good, very young, um, until, you know, optional routines started coming out and bigger skills started to be more important. That's when I started to get better and started to really enjoy the sport into my high school years. And that's when I made junior national teams. And, um, I actually won the USA national championships as a junior, my junior year in high school. Okay. So no, I was already very, very, very much into gymnastics. Okay. Okay. Um, I yeah. just hadn't really quite honed in on that being my one true focus outside of academics until seventh, you know, seventh grade, maybe. Yep. Yep. Now and for that matter, you know, again, I, I think that the, the level of concentration you put into your sport, it, it, it's all comes with maturity too. Cause so people ask me, you know, when did you start training for the Olympics? Well, I said, I started gymnastics when I was three. Um, you know, I was a 12 time all American four time NCAA national champion. Um, I made the Olympics when I was 24 graduated from college when I was 21. I started training for the Olympics, honestly, like really wholeheartedly training for the Olympics, probably when I was 20, maybe 21 years old. Hmm. That's when I truly started to understand what it meant, what it takes to train and, and, to, and to make a legitimate shot at the Olympics. And I think, I, you know, I, this has been a really deep theme with my team right now is you have a goal. There's three tiers of kind of goal setting. What do you want? You know, you got to be at least no. You got to at least decide what you want. You know, but in the same, you know, in that same situation, people sit on the couch watch the Super Bowl and they want to be the Super Bowl MVP. You know, so that's great. So the next tier is, do you know what it takes to get there? Mm-hmm. You know, like what is exactly does it take for you to get to that point uh, that you say you want to get to? And then that third and final thing, tons of people are there. And then that, that, that third level that I didn't quite get until I was 20 or 21 is, are you willing to do what it takes to get there? Because I sit and I hear my athletes tell me, I want to be a national champion, okay? All right, I got 15-8 routine, I got, it's got to be just like this, and it's got to look like this, and 15-4 final score, is it going to be enough to win? Got it, you, you know, you got it, great. But are you, have you been taking any action towards that goal whatsoever? Because mm-hmm. you'll tell me I want to be it, and this is what it takes but yet every action I see from you is not in line with that. And so you're a liar. You know, <laughs> I won't say that to their face, but it's right. like you're lying to yourself and you're lying to me. Right. Like, let's be more realistic with your goals and what you're really willing to achieve. Because lo- goals are great. Lofty, you know, having great and lofty ambitions are awesome. But only, only if you understand what it takes to get there and you're willing to do it. Because otherwise, you're just constantly going to be disappointed. Mm. I really like that. Three tiers of goals. I'm actually going to turn that around, if you don't mind, on onto you for a second and go off course sure. as a coach. So you have goals as a coach. How would sure. you personalize this, for example, in the upcoming season, if it if it changes year to year? Um, you know, and that's come from again. That's uh, that's so that is the the never ending pursuit of being a good coach is that. I think that middle section is, is far more difficult to figure out because you're not, you're maximizing people. And this is where the corporate, this is where the corporate intersects the coach. Um, the court, you know, do you know what I mean by that? Like I'll explain that for our listeners maybe. Yeah. So, so your what, what basically what I'm charged with is not coaching gymnastics technique. I mean, yes, I do a lot of that in the gym, but like I told you at the beginning of the interview, I spend 70% of my day in the office. Right. Because what I'm constantly trying to do, other than administrative, you know, figuring out some red tape and travel and scheduling and stuff like that and compliance stuff, is the team culture aspect. 
And what that ultimately comes down to is maximizing the people on my team to include my assistant coaches. That's how you win. Or that's how you put yourself in the best position to win is maximizing your resources, which are the people that you have underneath you. And that is never the same because people are different. Mm -hmm. And the way you go about approaching and maximizing athlete A versus athlete B are sometimes completely different. And that's a challenge. That is a never-ending challenge. And for me, when my team turns over completely once every four years, how that how part of the goal is never is always changing. And, you know, you're, you're, you're having to mold and adapt to your team culture. And I think it's almost a little easier in the corporate world where you can fire someone immediately and bring on someone that's really in line with your team culture and where you're trying to go and the vision for how your company is going to succeed. In the NCAA, I have a finite pool of athletes. Yep. You know, to get rid of a scholarship athlete is near impossible in the Big Ten because, you, you know, I'm, well, you can get rid of them, but you don't get your scholarship back. So, you know, you're, it's, it's personnel changeover is incredibly difficult, you know, and so recruiting on that, on that level becomes incredibly important for bringing in the right people that fit your mold and your idea and have the characteristics of this kind of grit concept and they have awesome work ethic and they're really concerned about being a team player and they have that um, end of the day, you know, talent, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard, you know, and um, there's a lot of gray there, but I, I've seen that. I, the walk-on guy that earns, a, that earns a, an All-American brings a tear to my eye and I see that um, almost as much as I see a scholarship guy come in and underachieve what I thought they were going to be. Right. And that's, that means you've got to, I've got to do a better job at, at recruiting, first of all, but, um, you know, that's, figuring out how to do that is, is, you know, if you figured it out, let me know. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's the hardest part about the goal of coaching is, oh, just maximize your team. Yeah. All right, well, how do you do that with your current team? Yeah. Have you ever have you ever emulated or followed or studied other coaches? It doesn't necessarily have to be in gymnastics, but read oh, about the John Woodens in the world and, and that. Oh, I've read, I, I haven't read his book, but I have read seven or eight books that speak to him and reference his book and his quotes and um, amazing. I, you know, and it's actually I'm embarrassed to say that I haven't read his book for how many times he's been referenced in his his coaching prowess and what he did and how he was as a person and a coach. Uh, I, I'm actually embarrassed. I haven't read his book now because um, he was a man. Yeah. He, he 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 had coaching and maximizing. I think the human potential down to a science. Yeah. So I yeah I should I'm probably going to go on Amazon after this and yeah. buying. No, it's it's interesting. And I and I Pat Williams, who's the founder of the Orlando Magic, was on, on our show a few months ago, and I had the opportunity to meet with him in person. And and he spoke so much about. Coach Wood, and he spent his last 10 years of his life writing books. And there's actually a book Pat Williams authored, I think, with somebody else about, about um, Wood. And so anyway, just throwing that one out there that I'm, I've started to dive into a little bit, because there are so many. But what a, what oh, a yeah. wonderful person. And, and as you mentioned, I'm, but, but it's interesting. I'll give you credit. I'm hearing a lot of, and I'm no expert, but I'm hearing a lot of Wood in, in the way that you're, you're speaking right now. So I think, it's, uh, I think you're halfway there <laughs> in terms of yeah, the, wooden, well, the mean, Woodenisms. And, 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 <laughs> reading a concept from a book and then bringing it in so that it works. Like again, that action piece, yeah. um, that, that third tier, you yeah. know, are you willing and able to do what it takes, you know? And that's, I think that, that those, I think that comes down to genetics a little bit. You're either a natural born leader or you don't, you do, you have to be able to do some of this stuff instinctively a little bit. You know, there's a, there's a decent amount of learning along the way, 
but in the end, um, I think you're pretty much predisposed to be, you know, on the higher end of leadership or lower end. And I just, I think fortunately I had a little bit of that from my father and I'm just trying to maximize myself and yeah. do what I can. So, Justin, what's it we'll like as, as a head coach, <laughs> Division One program, uh, you guys are obviously in the tops uh, every year. And I know, and one of the reasons why you probably went there, which I, I do want to get to in a second, but you have uh, all of this that you're trying to bring together, the three tiers of the goals, the personalities, the team, as you mentioned, scholarships, all these important, very important things. But you also have school, right? These kids are going to school. Let's call them student athletes. And for somebody who's gone through school, of course you understand, but then you went to that next level of preparing for the Olympics. And now you got to come back and continue to respect that environment. Some people have a hard time with that transition from what I've heard. Um, Not because they don't respect it only because they're so, as you mentioned earlier, tunnel visioned, right? (laughs) So how do you, how do you keep in check the whole academic aspect of it, as well as the fact that, we're, we're dealing with children, or dealing, we have the opportunity, I should say, of working with children <laughs> 18, 17 to 21, 22 years old, the prime of their experimental lives. I think it's easier in, in Olympic sports where there's not this vision of, of success at the end of the road, like in basketball and football, where you can make a very lucrative career mm. very shortly, you know, and so school doesn't matter, I'm going to get drafted or, you know we don't have a lot of athletes with this grandiose vision because it doesn't really exist. You know, like I, I made an Olympic team and got a medal and, you know, like that was great for a year and then I had to get a real job, you know, like, right. <laughs> um, it, it, you know, welcome to the real world. So, you know, I really push academics, um, but you're right. Some of them still fight it. It's not what they want. And so I think there's a lot more, twisting the arm from my end with the academic piece, you know, like, you know, I really want to empower you to love this part of your life and dive in and take it on and be successful. Um, Some people do it naturally, some people don't. And then that, you know, this is definitely one of the areas where, well, that's tough. You don't have a choice in this matter. Academics are that important. You will graduate. You will shoot for a 3.2 GPA on my team. And there's not a, you don't have a choice in that matter. You know, you have to be a little bit harder in that academic realm because of what you said you know it's it's a few really are here to do gymnastics on the side um and and have academics at the 100 percent focus of their mind um yeah maybe three or four of them i got on my team the rest of them it's a pretty 50 50 wash they love the competitive sport they know academics are very important but it's a pretty even balance and one kind of takes from the other and that's usually what i speak to is that balance in life is, is absolutely critical you know, if you're panicking about an exam and you're in panic mode about um, academics or the fact you haven't done laundry and you have nothing to wear to this event for your business class, you know, like you're not going to be the best athlete in practice that day. Right. And so if for nothing else, you have to keep the balance in your life in order to excel and, and, and um, succeed in any of, uh, any of the parts of your life. Because right. if you're constantly in panic mode or constantly distraught and your energy's going you know, to this ang- anxious and worried element of your life because other things are in order, you're not going to be the best athlete. So in the end, you know, nice try that, you know, you're just struggling through class doesn't work that way. Yeah. You know, because that, that is, you're going to bring that into the gym and you don't want to, but it happens. You know, we only have so many units of energy in a day and if a lot of them are spent on panicking because your life's in disarray, either academics or life in general, relationships, family, parents. It plays into that. And that's why I think, again, you have to coach the person 
not just the athlete because they're more than just the athlete that steps through that door every day. They bring the baggage from uh, with everything else from their life with yeah. them. Yeah, you got to be aware of that as a coach. Really well said, Justin. I, I congratulate you on that that training of thought. It's I have a neighbor uh, where I live in Annapolis, a very successful businessman and has been involved in sports. And he always says, I mean, whatever I start to, he's a mentor of mine now. And I always get together with him and he says, Rob, you only have so much space up there, man. You only have so much yeah. space, you know, you got to figure out what's going to go in there. And of course, meaning the head and what's not. And if you can't control that, you are just not going to ever peak period, uh, whatever that means to you. So and you got to pick what you're most passionate about, Yeah, you know, and put that at the top. Yeah. But what you what what you value the most, you know, and there's a there's a big push. You know, Keller Williams wrote a book, um, you know, the the one thing, you know, and it's about prioritizing and and doing one thing. But you know, are you going to be master of none, you know, jack of all trades, or or are you going to, you know, some of the most successful companies have basically said we're going to do this one thing the best, better than anyone, and they're the ones that continue to like Southwest Airlines, for example. Bingo. You know, the most family friendly and cost affordable airline or you know they're they're referenced quite a bit in in, in a lot of books about how they their model was outstanding and it's because they chose to to basically empower their 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 employees yeah. to have fun and we're going to be the most cost effective airline in the country and they're killing i love southwest oh that's the best uh, i really respect companies like that even apple is up there with the i'm sure they could design a, a million things but they stick with their core yep. that's great yeah you know simplicity user friendliness you know that yeah. 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 It's good. Now, Sarah. So your sister Sarah is older than you, correct? Yep. Just and got back from Vietnam. Uh, not from Vietnam. From Desert. Uh, wow. Listening to my dad's accomplishments. Just got back from <laughs> Afghanistan uh, like two weeks ago. She was there for like seven months. Oh, really? What was, do you mind? Yeah. Is, am I allowed to ask what she was doing over there? Um, so she's, she's the brain of the family. Um, <laughs> she's a PhD, She's a doctor. Um, went to Ohio State as a gymnast, scholarship. Um, finished early. Hated, hated it. Hated it. Just not not hated the sport uh, in the end of her career, and just I don't think that she was. I don't think she enjoyed athletics in general, you know, um, and just was done with it very quickly. Um, did personal training for a while, kind of figured out her life. Ended up saying, "I want to be I want to be a doctor," and had my dad swear her into the army. Um, got Uncle Sam to pay for her medical bills, and she's still paying her dues. Um, to, you know, to kind of earn back or to pay back that, that, that policy that they had, you know, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll pay for you to do whatever, but you got to give us four years and, and, you know, I don't know what the exact requirements are, but she just got back from, um, Afghanistan. Her husband's in the Marines. She's got a 18 month old baby boy and she was gone away from him for like six months, six oh, and a half wow. months, seven months. She was over there. So cra crazy. So she's back and we're going to get together soon. And, the boys are around the same age, so kind of the spring family will unite. That's hopefully right. That's soon, right. So. That's great. Well, again, more grit in the family. Now, she's ahead of you, uh, obviously succeeding, whether she's ultimately enjoying the process at the end or not. Well, I shouldn't say the <laughs> but But that uh, does that put any pressure on you as you start to make your decisions about where you're going to go to school, college? And do you feel that at all? I mean, I, the, the older brother or, uh, sorry, the older sibling, younger sibling pressures from Sarah. Yeah. I never did. No. Um, she always kicked my butt in school and that was, you know, again, I, that's not where my passion lied. I knew that I had to be good in academics. You know, you can have strengths and weaknesses. Um, your weaknesses, your weaknesses can't be so bad that it basically negates all other strengths. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, that's a big thing for us in recruiting. Like our facility is, is a big weakness for us. Right. But it's not so bad that it negates everything else. And so focus on our strength. Focus on what, what we think brings kids here. And I, that's kind of how I was in my life. You know, I was personable, loved athletics. Um, academics were a weakness of mine, but my dad always made sure that I maintained a 3.0 or higher, and I did. Um, and somehow got into engineering at Illinois still. And, um, you know, but she was going to be, she was going to do that, and I was going to be awesome and successful in what I wanted to be. And it wasn't academic based like it was for her. So, um, you know, very, my sister are very different people, very different people. Right. So in, on that note, you hear three years old competing, not competing, but being involved in gymnastics. One in this day and age says, well, you know, of course you go to the whole tiger woods, like, wow, like the parents must've been really involved. Was that the case? Did you feel pressures as you look back on your youth? No, you know, that's one, my parents were incredible. Um, my mom, I think told me to quit more often than she, you know, pushed me to be successful. Um, now I shouldn't say it that way more, more so than she told me I had to win or, you know what I mean? Right. Um, she just didn't want to drive you around all over the state. Just be honest. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's for sure. The second I turned 16, got my license, they were like, finally, um, I had, I had a lot of freedom immediately because they didn't get sick of driving me to and from practice. But I, I, you know, I think that's, that's a big coaching le- learn lesson too. You cannot want something for your athletes more than they want it for themselves. And that, that goes true with the parent. If you find yourself wanting it more and you've tried to kind of illuminate the specialness of it and you know, that their town is in line with this and they still have made the choice that either by action or by saying it, that they don't want it, then you're going to you're, you're get be done because you're going to kill yourself trying to push them to, to work harder for it when they clearly don't want it. You know, it's the, it's my goodwill hunting example. Mm. You know, like you, you can't want it more than they want it for themselves. And I got a guy on my team that seems to be like that right now, be an Olympian. Great. Could be one of the world's greatest on, you know, some of these events, but he just doesn't want it right now. And my job is to try to maybe make him understand how limited his time is and how good, you know, and I've done that. But in the end, I'm done pushing him in the gym to push that level because he's clearly showed me through his actions. He doesn't want to. Right. So it's, it's now it's how can I help him make the choice to want to not, how can I force him to go through the actions to do so? And cause there's no ownership there and you won't get it. And you end up wanting to just kill him and kill yourself at the end of the situation. <laughs> so, you know, just your energy is better spent on outside the gym, trying to figure out maybe what it is exactly he wants. Right. So he can make the choice and, and pursue that. And, you know, hopefully it's somewhere falls in line with your sport or whatever. Does that make sense? I don't it does. Change it, but no, it does. I think my parents are really good at that. Yeah. No, but, that's you know, great. We're not going to want this for you. And I still remember when I entered my seventh surgery in four years right before the Olympic Games. Um, I tore my ACL eight months before the Olympic trials. And my mom's crying. You know, I can't believe this happened to you again. <laughs> and I'm just like, what are you going to do? You know, this is a weirdly a part of my process. Um, I, I was frustrated but not distraught like she was and she's like i just think you should get out of there i'm like yeah mom get out of this room get out of this doctor's room right now and um my dad wrote me an email and it was like justin if you make an olympic team it's great if not you've far exceeded any expectations we had for you in the sport and um we support you and and your in your journey you know either way and like that almost gave me the freedom to to not have so much weight on my back competing yeah. at the Olympic uh, trials 
knowing I had to do this for my family and do this for who and so, you know, it was like, it was like, I'm here because I want to be here and this is fun. I think that's why I did so well in such high pressure situations. I'm glad you, you just shared that story. So important for fathers, mothers, coaches out there listening. And just that little bit, that just one that I'm sure there's others, right. Other conversations, but that email that's uh, you'll forever remember that email. <laughs> and yeah. I actually have it saved uh, in my thread still. It's from like, Oh God, what is it? Eight, seven years ago now, and it's, great. it's one of the most powerful messages my dad ever, you know, sent to me, and it made me feel good as a as a as a, as a man, you know, not just as an athlete. And I just, I'm sure my reply was, well, thanks for thanks for instilling that in me, Dad, you know, and right. thanks for not making me compete with the weight of you and mom's pressure on my back, you know, and that was that that made the difference, all the difference in the world. So yeah, so important, so important. Now. As I was talking to you here and taking a lot of notes, we're hearing a lot of fun, successful things. Of course, a lot of positive energy towards coaching and what we can do to continually get better. But you just answered one of my questions, which let's turn to your journey for a second. You go to, to college, you have a successful career, and then you're on the path to, it sounds like a little bit of coaching, but then on to the Olympics. Um, share some of the ups and downs. This is the part where I'd like to sit back and maybe just listen to your journey a little bit, how you chose University of Illinois. What were some of the successes and also challenges? You mentioned seven surgeries here. So we know there's challenge Nine. Sorry. At the end of all of it, all said and done, nine. Nine. Okay. We just upped the ante there. So nine. Nine surgeries. Uh, make the Olympics. You medal. But do you mind if I just sit back here and listen to a little bit about that journey from choosing school to post-Olympics? <laughs> So choosing a school was relatively easy for me. Again, I, I, you know, I was never a fan of the sport. I wasn't a student of it, only until recently. Um, it was more about enjoying, the, the, enjoying what the sport gave to me, being on a team, competing. It was something I was good at, and I liked, I liked being good at things. And when you could do it and, be, you know, and help your team win, oh, that was the best feeling in the world. And so I wanted a team that I cared about and cared about me. And I took my five trips NCAA and Illinois just hit home, man. It's a family atmosphere in the Midwest. Everyone was so friendly, loved the environment, loved the coaches at the time. And so here I came. Um, was very, very, very successful, mostly due to my talent throughout college. Um, had a lot of maturing and growing up to do, like you heard me say before. Only when I got to be a junior and senior did I really start understanding what it was like to be, um, what it really meant to train and commit wholeheartedly to something and that's honestly that late learning lesson is what guides me as a coach now is trying to get my freshmen to understand how precious their time is and what it really takes and trying to help them you know what do you really want do you define being the man you know going out and buying everyone shots at the bar or do you define being the man being the hero and winning national titles and, and leading your team to success and being a part of something that's special and magical about um you know our sport is the only forum that exists to this capacity of team gymnastics, NCAA, and do you want that or do you want the other thing, you know, and just how can I help them highlight that early? I wish I had a coach sit me down and kind of drill that into me earlier. I think I could have been even more successful. So that was a big learning lesson for me as a, as a captain, as a junior, is flipping the head on it. You know, they say the best way, to, best way to learn is to teach. And, you know, that was, that's really, I think, what helped me is when I took on a role as a captain was – my responsibility kind of is to help maximize this team. Well, what would you do? And well, I wouldn't be like me as a freshman, you know? So, um, that was, uh, early, early, you know, a good lesson. So, um, I'd had a few surgeries in college, wrist, shoulder, ankle. Um, actually the shoulder was later, but so I graduated in 06. 
and that uh, I guess I'll kind of do my Olympic journey as quickly as possible. Um, and so in 06, I just made, I came off 05, made the national team for the first time, made the world championship team that year, the same year, and came back and was kind of now pegged to be like, this guy's going to maybe be an 08 Olympian. Here we go. And so graduated in 2006, kept my training through the summer, made the world championship team, but my ankle was really messed up, wasn't feeling good. I know I already at that point needed shoulder surgery. Um, basically, I well, not basically, I withdrew from the world team um, because I couldn't do floor, even though I, it wasn't really said that I had to. I just... I didn't feel that I, you know, I wasn't going to be able to contribute as much as I should to a team world championships because um, I couldn't do floor because of my ankle, and I withdrew. So the alternate went in. I had shoulder surgery, had my first ankle surgery, tried to come back. It didn't take. Had a second, or well, at that point was my fourth ankle surgery, um, but second one right away, um, and finally it was good. So I came back off of a labrum recovery and two ankle surgeries to literally hit the prime of my career in 2007. Mm. Um, you can watch this awesome moment on uh, YouTube. Uh, 2007 USA Championships, um, peak of my career, just came back from rehab, and as, you, as I told you before, I tear my ACL on vault, um, basically competing one of the hardest vaults ever done on, on USA soil. It was uh, triple full and just was off. My shoulder wasn't feeling great. Block wasn't there, whatever. Tear my ACL. I got eight months till the Olympic trials. Um, start the ACL recovery, I come back, you know, in like four or five months, I mean, earlier than anyone ever expected, so much that I'm doing all around at a preparation competition, land short, and basically destroy my ankle, oh. just destroy my right, my left, um, my left ankle, so I tore my right ACL, come back early enough, destroy my right ankle, uh, left ankle, and now trials are in two months, and I've got a black and blue softball for an ankle, um, and I'm just like, this is not happening. Um, continue doing that, pushing, just doing what we can. End up basically training through into going into Olympic trials, not ever once completing a, a floor routine um, in that two months. I, I did floor. Um, actually went out to the Olympic Training Center uh, trying to tumble on oh, still a weak knee and a, well, after the Olympics and after uh, we found out I actually tore my delt ligament in that ankle. We never got it checked out until after the Olympics because it just didn't matter at that point. We just had to keep pushing. I was trying to tumble. Um, I have lower bulging disc issues. Ended up uh, falling out of bed one night at like 2 a.m. at the Olympic Training Center because two weak lower extremities, compound fractures in, 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 in the discs. Um, my my disc has fired up so bad I'd lost motor function and fell out in the going to the ER. Um, after crawling through the hallway to my coach's room, he actually got so mad at me. And he told me this later. He's like, I thought you'd gone out drinking and hurt yourself or something. And I was like, oh, no, man. Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I, like, my back flared up from tumbling. So I go to the ER. I get on, you know, painkillers and muscle relaxers and end up not even doing almost any gymnastics about for a week and a half before the Olympic trials. After about a week and a half rest, I show up. I'm ready on five events but not floor. Um, the selection committee basically tells me the night before, hey, if you don't do floor, you don't fit into this um, Olympic team. You have to do floor. And it just resonated with back with 06. And I was like, we got to do floor. So I watered down my dismount. I compete floor the next day. Um, I actually nail my routine. And that is probably the greatest moment in my head of my entire career. It's hitting that floor routine Olympic trials because I knew that kind of – I knew that that 
was the best I could do to seal my fate for making the Olympic team. And it did. And that floor team's on YouTube. And it's, um, people are like, why do you water down such a crappy dismount? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> you have no idea what I just went through. I haven't done a floor routine in two months. I hadn't even tumbled in like a week and a half. Um, the fact that I completed a floor routine, that was all adrenaline. That, I mean, that was all, you know, nothing is going to hold me back at this moment because this is all I got left, you know, and it was, I'm almost tearing up thinking about it. It was, it was probably the greatest moment of my career in my head. So That's I just, awesome. And after that, it was all she wrote, you know, competed at the Olympics, was very successful, got a medal. After the Olympics, found out I actually had a torn delt ligament, took two surgeries to repair my ankle after the Olympics. And my left ankle looks like a softball stitching on it. It's interesting, but that was a heck of a journey. So That is a heck of a journey. Yeah, well, it means even more when you're standing up there and <laughs> with your medal because looking back and then, of course, moving forward, it still wasn't over. Is this, is this uh, I mean, I hate to ask it like this because nothing's normal or expected in sports, but is it normal that somebody has this many surgeries in, 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 in um, gymnastics? <laughs> it's not normal. It's not unheard of. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think that it, any gymnast that's competitive at the most elite level um, I would say, if you look at like if you look at our our national team right now, I would say that probably almost every one of them has had had at least one surgery, yeah. and I would say probably the average is probably maybe two or three. Wow! Wow! Just keeping their body together. I mean, gymnastics is the most grueling sport in the world, um, and unfortunately, it's that element that makes it not very desirable because people don't just people just don't get it. It's, yeah. it, you know, the nature that makes it so extreme and um, kind of awesome in some way is the exact reason that people have turned away from it, which is why I think it was more popular back in the 70s. Um, the gymnastics level just wasn't, it was, it was a lot more basic. People could kind of understand it more. It is so hard. And, it, you know, only 0.001% of the U.S. population can even come close to, to doing what, the Olympic level gymnastics is now and the rest of the 99.99 is like, I don't even know what's happening there, mm. you know? And, and so we, tu we, we tune in and get rallied around it for the Olympics because it's patriotic and will support USA. And it's one of the more kind of entertaining sports, but, but entertaining like a show, not necessarily like a sporting event. You know, it's like, Oh, let's watch this crazy person flip around. <laughs> like, you know, it, you know, it, we, it's, it's so extreme we've lost our audience, you know? Yeah, interesting point. Really interesting point. You mentioned being a team captain before. What, uh, I was a team captain. Yeah, two-year team, two team captain. Probably, did, do you look at it differently when you were a team captain? Well, first of all, if we could define what that means in your opinion, then also go to the point of what it meant to you when you were a team captain. Do you understand the responsibilities? And now as a coach and the responsibilities maybe you put on or encourage the team to put on the team captains that are, uh, you know, year to year. What, how would you describe that? I'm, I'm curious on your insight. You know, the, I think the, the team captain is one of the most challenging positions in all of sports, um, especially at the NCAA level. And, it's one of the, and because of that, it's the most, one of the most critical. And, of course, at, when I was one, I didn't even begin to understand that. I thought it was about hosting social gatherings and, you know, you know, being the guy that speaks in the team huddle. Like, well, it's like right. anyone can do those things. You know, it, you're basically, you're the intermediary between the team and the coach, but you're still one of the guys, you're still one of the boys, you know, you're still one of the guys. Um, 
And so how do you play that gray area of being the communication line, you know, to, to the man, so to speak, the coach, you know, and, <laughs> but, but still be one of the athletes that can be like, dude, we're going through this together. We're fighting through this together. But I got to, you know, but I got to rat you out for, for, for messing up as a team player to coach. You know, like, how do you walk that line? My God, it's challenging. You know, like, um, and, and there's ways and there's tactics, but it's, it's what a difficult position to be in, is, you know, to be a captain, to be there for the team and maximize the team, but to do it to also to be the communication line to the coach. So, you know, it's, that's tough. That's yeah. really tough. And I never even began to scratch the surface of that responsibility when I was a captain. And again, that's kind of the, the, been a big changing point uh, of how I approach the position now as a coach. It's like, you, you know, it's important to define what your role is and the expectations from me as a coach. And then you should probably ask your cat, your team, what their expectations are from you yeah. and then relay what the expectation, you know, and so we have a big captain's meeting and um, before we vote, it's a huge ordeal with the team. And um, in the end, it's, it's coaching say, but we, we take a lot of data input from the team because it is their representative, you know, their representatives as well. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, I don't know. It's it's one of those tough, really tough gray areas, and I find myself overly, overly critical of candidates for that position. There's okay. never a perfect candidate for that position, but <laughs> so it's 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 really hard. You always have two or three. What happens if you took that position away? There were new team captains. I'm just curious. We talked about it this year too. Um, I you know I, I'm I'm almost more favoring it this year because I, you know. I, I believe in hierarchy. I believe in its necessity. Uh, if you look at the, mil- the military model, you know, what they do to freshmen and how they bring them together and force them, you know, they, they, they break you down so there is no other way other than to bond, band together and, and, and succeed. You know, like you, ha- you only have each other, you know, and you can't do that um, to the ext- certainly to anywhere near the extreme that the military does it. But I, but I believe in that, you know, like I do believe that um, sometimes, you know, you got to be the dark knight. You know, Batman can't always be good. And that's a horrible <laughs> reference, you know, but like, but it's, you know, sometimes you have to be what, what the team needs you to be. And you can't be the friend and coach. Sometimes, sometimes you got to be a jerk. You got to, you got to come down on them hard. So they band together. And if it's because they band together because they hate you in the moment, maybe that's what it needs to be. Um, and it's, it's really hard to balance, to balance that. Um, and, um, so that's good with hierarchy, but then if you eliminate it, you eliminate experience and freshmen don't haven't gone through a year of a competitive season to be entitled to have the same weight and value as a senior. Um, you know, or maybe they, they should be able to speak, but you know, their words shouldn't carry as much clout. But then I also know seniors that have no business speaking up ever <laughs> in a team meeting. So it, it's so hard. It's so hard. And, and that's where you run into trouble with, you have a senior class that maybe aren't great captains. I know. Well, the seniors are always captains. Well, maybe they shouldn't be. Yeah. You know, maybe there's a sophomore that's way better suited because of where his head is at, you know, yeah. and yeah, it, it's tough. Yeah. I don't oh, know. I get it. I get it. I've always wondered, as opposed to team captains, what it would be like just to have a, a, almost a mentorship program that everybody's accountable, uh, gets maybe even more <laughs> difficult at that point, but yeah. And, and we've talked about that a lot this year, really? but, you know, and how, 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 how do you do it? <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you, how do you run, how do you run team meetings? How do you, how do you disseminate? So that was my biggest learning lesson to just have the closing statement about this is last year, I think as a coach, 
you know exactly what you want, how it should look, and how you know, and you almost do too much talking. How do you create? How do you disseminate? And this is, goes good with parenting. Like, how do you mold and guide them, but still allow them to make mistakes enough so that they own the process themselves, so that it's theirs? Because that's where you get the most amount of internal motivation, fight and grit. And I will never stop pushing for this because this is my journey. This is what I want. Versus, coach told us this is how to be the best, and so we have to do that. You know, there, there's that fine line, and you know, like so. That's that's definitely been our guiding principle this year is guiding from a little bit more like a puppet master and letting them cut the strings a little bit, let them walk and and learn early um, the mistakes that need you know that need to happen so they can learn exactly how and what it takes to be successful and maximize themselves. Really hard. Yeah. I think that's the hardest part about being a coach and a parent. Yeah, uh, I can completely understand. Well, have a lot, one last part of our show here. I call it overtime, where I like to ask quick questions, get some quick answers, Justin, if you don't mind, and learn a little bit more about you behind the scenes and, and the way you think, although we have so much here today. So if you don't mind, we're going to start with, number one, what, what do you – I'm an aspiring gymnast looking to compete at the University of Illinois. Uh, what are you looking for when you come maybe – to check me out, you know, or one of the coaches are coming on the recruiting trip. What, what, what are you looking for? Let's take the athletic ability as obviously a given, but then what? Um, and so I, I don't know why I make this reference, but I, I make the athletic ability to like looks to a, a significant other at a bar or something or at a social gathering. The, the athletic ability are like the looks. You're first intrigued by the looks. And then, but then as you get to know them, that's that's really whether or not you fall in love with that person, you know, and like, I mean, recruiting's a lot like dating, you know, it really is. Right. You're trying to sell them, and and again, the the athletic ability is like the looks. It's that first encounter, you know, and it's what first intrigues you. But then, as you get to know the person, you're looking for character, and does this person have the same values and ideals? And um, obviously, we're more sport oriented organization, you know, it's not all about dating, but it's, then you, you, are they team players? Are they, um, do they care about giving back to something bigger than themselves? Um, are they, again, then it comes down to values. I mean, you know, and so it's, and, that, and I think as you get older and more experienced, you put, you start to put a lot more emphasis on that second part. Yeah. I like that. But that's the hardest part to get to know. Yeah, you know. it is. <laughs> look or look. Projectability. Talent talent. <laughs> it's on video. It's on YouTube. Recruiting's done through there, but how do you gauge that character, that personality, that commitment, that team player? It's really hard. Yeah. Really hard. Yeah, it is. That, it is. That's more important in so many ways. Well, that's a great answer. Now, how about a habit, something healthy or something challenging that you either yourself, your family, or your team that you religiously do? And I use that as a term to say constantly, that you're constantly trying. Oh, yeah, to I know. I use it in the same way. Um, you, 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 it's such a broad question. You, me, myself, I could have answered that. And my family, oh man, and my team, oh god, we do so much. <laughs> <laughs> what do we really, we show up to practice every day? Yeah. Um, well, let no, me ask I, you this. I, let me ask you this. Let me go a little John Wooden esque. Is there anything you do at practice with your team that may be a little unconventional? That that you know, it's just not expected. If I were to show up and watch you for a season, I'd be like, wow, I wonder why they do that. Bow at the door. Really. You walk into the venue, and so this is one of the things we're trying to rekindle because another one of my favorite sayings is that a man 
show me a man that won't, that, 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 I forget the exact, it's an Aristotle quote, that can't be trusted to do the little things, shouldn't be trusted to do the big things. Mm-hmm. Um, and bowing at the door is a Japanese culture from the head coach that was here for 33 years. And it was a, basically it was a commitment of yourself to this space, mm-hmm. that you're here to, to commit yourself 100% and leave everything else outside, outside, and commit yourself to this space while you're in this space. This is our training sanctuary. We're here to be committed. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. a great concept. And, I, and, and um, it's super hard to do, but I love the idea of it. Um, they still do it. And I, I can't wait for fall to start and for all my freshmen to get in because I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm really going to kind of test that. Yeah. Why do you guys bow? Oh, because we've always bowed. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, that's worthless. Why do you really bow? You know, like, yeah. what is the significance behind doing it? What does it mean? What does it mean to you? And I think having conversations about that um, give it power. Yeah, I like, just the I like that. <laughs> it's, 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 around, it's, it's having a team conversation about what it means to us and to me and to him that give it significance and power. And so that kind of comes back down to what I was going to say before you asked about practice, self-assessment. Always, you know, that's something that you always have to do. How am I doing as a father? How am I doing as a husband? How am I doing as a coach? How, how are we doing as a team? Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. Once, I, once a week. Go ahead, sorry. No, no, just once a week. I oh, once a week, that. yeah. You got to do it. You got to do it. No, and it, it's great. And, and I, you know, I love the, the bowing. It's it's a great thing to set the expectation, too, of, of going back during practice if you – I'm not a gymnast, but in my own sports of, okay, why am I here? Right. And, and what did you do when you first came in here? You made the commitment, like don't walk in the door without making the commitment to doing what you're doing. And it sets everybody to that standard. Uh, I I like that. It's a similar place we can all go to in conversation, which I think is very helpful. No, that's great. We lost it though. It's something that absolutely needs to be rekindled in our program. We still do the physical action, but that's like training without purpose. You're going through the motions, but you're not really training, Right. you know, Right. We we have to re we have to rekindle what that means and bring back some strength to it. Right. So that's that's first. Sounds like you uh, as a good coach, you're challenging yourself once again to to improve this year and and bring it all together. So now have some fun here. What about uh, a walk up song? All right, you're in a professional baseball uniform. You're out there, Cubs, White Sox, whatever. <laughs> and we put you out there to take an official major league at bat, and you're walking to the plate. What's the song playing over the loudspeaker, Justin, to get you in the proper mindset? Oh, man. <laughs> so there was one that was a popular song. Um, I'm, t- I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> immediately I think of, like, Thunderstruck, which is just gets everyone amped. But that's not one that resonates with my history. Um, so there was a song by, I'm it's coming up in two seconds. No problem. Um, Quiet Drive. Play, you have it on YouTube right there? Can you press play? Drive, it's called Rise from the Ashes. Yeah. And um, it was like my theme song when I was, quote, training for the Olympics, unquote. And by doing that, I was working on range of motion on my torn ACL. You know, you're moving your knee four inches. You know, and I was cynical as could be, you know, this, I'm training for the Olympics here, you know, like, and I just, I needed to rekindle that fire. I got with a sports therapist and like that song rise from the ashes was like, I will come back and prove everyone wrong that I will be on this Olympic team. I will win a medal at this Olympics and it will happen. And I, 
started with affirmation statements and like that song just resonated with that moment. Like I will come and I will seek out and I will be successful. And getting me fired up, man. Good memories. Yeah. Can you press play? Is it, you have speakers right there? Um, yeah. yeah uh, let's, 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 let's get a little, let's get a little 10 second clip. It's a punk song, which is what I was really into. Of course, YouTube has advertisements. So yeah, we'll get, we'll edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> coming in here when you're cool you're comfortable nice nice i like it rise from the ashes well thanks for sharing that that is good favorite movie favorite sports movie actually i was so into punk as a kid so this was right yeah this is good stuff <laughs> i don't know how long you want me to play it yeah no, that's good <laughs> Song, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you'll like, listen to the whole thing. Weird, you know, how often do you... Oh, it's great. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it's such a great song for me. <laughs> I'm bringing you back. I like it. I am. I'm ready to compete. I'm like, I'm ready to start working out again. Thirty's <laughs> not too old. Not Just drop, drop the phone and leave right now. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not too old. No, oh, not at all. Uh okay. I, I gotta buy a John Wooden book. Yeah. I gotta download a new album. I mean, I got a lot of work to do after this call. Good. Yeah, and you gotta get ready for the 2016 Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you do have a lot. How about a favorite? Uh, how about a favorite book that you've read? Something in your back pocket that you like to go to? Um, so it's not one that anyone would know, but it's it's one that it, it's a it's a quick reference book. Um, God, I've read I've read so many like empowerment and self. Um, self-development books. I love them all. I love them all. Um, one that I keep, though, kind of on tap is this one. Um, it's called What Does It Take to Be Number One? Okay. And it's, um, it's www.simpletruth.com. It's given to me by a friend who actually played in the NFL, um, John Wright, who's mm-hmm. a former Illini football player. And just, um, so it's, it's, by, it's a Vince Lombardi book. Um, and it's just, what does it take to be number one? And it's kind of a, it's a very, it almost looks like a kid's book, but it, you know, it's only, it's only like a hundred pages and they're tiny. It's like a tiny square book, but man, it just, it just, it's like an accelerated philosophy book that you can just kind of go back and reference and get fired up and just get, it's, I really like it. It's It's right here. I just keep it by my side all the time. I'll reference it frequently. Very cool. Very cool. How about a favorite sports movie? Um, you know, I, as much as I thought this was a horrible gesture by USA Gymnastics, um, our team in 2008 was it com- completely comprised of Olympic rookies. Um, they sent us the movie Miracle about the 1980, 84, 84 hockey team. Yep. Um, and I just thought the, the title was ironic. Right. <laughs> you guys are going to need a miracle out there to win, you know, <laughs> I was like, "What is it? What are you trying to tell us? Like, we're not we're we're outgunned here, you know." But fortunately, I think our team was very upbeat, very positive, and it, it, I don't know. It was just a funny movie. So that was a good sports movie. Great movie. If I also enjoyed uh, "Remember the Titans." I thought that was a great team building focal. Folk, you know, it wasn't always on the sport so much as it was about building a strong team. Yeah. So Denzel Watt. It also was filmed in our area. You know, that's 
Woodson right. High School, right? That's Northern Virginia. That's right. That that's right. Right up the street there. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Now, if you're the host of this show, who are you? Life Lessons of Sports. T.C. Williams, sorry. Yeah, no, it's all right. T.C. Williams, you're right. Uh, you're the host of this show. Who would you invite to come on to interview if you could control the interview and ask some questions? Oh, man. Um, that's, a, that's a really... That's a really tough question. Um, I, my brain's going in every so you know some of the first couple names that just randomly popped into my head. Um, LeBron James, just to see where his head is at with everything and like what's it life having the world revolve around you and you know like what an ego trip. How have you handled you know things like that? Then Michael Phelps from just a talent perspective, genetic anomaly. You know like his body was. Um, just designed to be a fish in the water, but like clearly you took on a work ethic despite all of that. And I think it's too common that you see genetic freaks, um, not develop a great sense of, um, work ethic. So how did that develop? You know, I, those kinds of questions for him. And then, uh, oh man, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, yeah. they're all, they're all good. John yeah, Wooden you know, yeah. coaching. I'd want to bring some coaches on. Oh man. Yeah. No, some good ones out there. Well, those are three three tops. And like last two questions here. Just one, do you have a charity or foundation that you support or even your team supports, something that you could acknowledge or wanna wanna point Don't out? Don't have a charity. I wish I was that, you know, lucrative to, to be funding a charity. <laughs> no, of course, of uh, course. Um we I you know, we've committed to volunteering at a local um um elementary school. Okay. And I, you know, I, I really, it's one of the things we did on post-Olympic tour, uh, gymnastics as a post-Olympic tour, we go and do shows at 38 cities. Talk about not a sport, right? You know, we can do shows afterwards featuring our sport. Right. Um, another problem with our sport. Right. Um, but we went and visited um, children's hospitals. And, you know, like we one time we went to this oncology center and this girl this hadn't spoken in like a couple days and she came in and saw the people she'd just seen on TV and she sat up and she was speaking. It was just like that. I lost it. You know, like the, the girl on the big team started crying. We started crying. It was like, what a powerful and moving. It just put everything in perspective, you know? And I think that again, highlighting to these young kids, cause I was, I was one of the worst too, how special it is to, for you to be a part of what you are a part of and how fortunate you are. Um, it's to get that perspective. You can't just speak to it. You got to go work at a soup kitchen. You got to go um, volunteer and, t and so the, the elementary school that our guys tutor at. Um, it's like eighty. I think it's like an eighty percent poverty rate mm. elementary school. So you know, there's some kids that kind of have some messed up backgrounds. I, I really think it's important for my very privileged team to see that side of things. Yeah, good for you. No, I'm glad you you put that together, and the team rises up and comes together. It's a, it's extremely extremely important. So thanks for mentioning that. Actually, uh, how can we connect with you, Justin? There's a lot of people out there listening, inspired. Maybe some youngsters out there who say, "I want to go play one day. I want to compete at the University of Illinois." How how can we get in touch with you? Um, so my personal Twitter and and the, the team's Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Have, have somehow melded. We're, we're together at one point. We finally separated ourselves, which is smart. Because <laughs> right. um, I had myself as an athlete. Now I'm just in the coach. And then there's the program. And so 
um, you can follow me um, at Twitter at um, Justin Spring, I believe. Okay. Um, and my Instagram is Springer, Z-Z, S-P-R-I-N-G-E-R-Z-Z. I'm never on Instagram, though. But <laughs> if you want to follow my program, which is where almost all of my information goes out through now because that's my life. Um, otherwise, my personal, you just see pictures of my kid. Yeah. If you want to follow, follow <laughs> Illini Gymnastics, that's Illini Men's Gym, I-L-L-I-N-I-M-E-N-S-G-Y-M. And that's at Instagram and Twitter. So that's that's the best way to follow our program. We got blooper highlight reels, and we run. I got a manager that does a great job managing our social accounts. They're a lot of fun to follow. That's the line I mentioned on Instagram and Twitter. That's great. Having fun with the game as well, with the sport. I love. Oh it. yeah. Oh man, our blooper highlight reels are scary sometimes. Oh, scary but, funny. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll bet it is. Now, do you know where you all will be this uh, this upcoming season? Uh, in, in East Coast, West Coast, Midwest. I know, but. You yep. Yeah, our, our schedule's out. We've got actually five home competitions uh, competing here at Huff Hall, University of Illinois. We will be in Norman, Oklahoma. We're in Chicago for a big season opener, January 17th. Um, we're at NCAAs are at um, OU in, uh, at Oklahoma. The Sooners are hosting them. And then actually Big Ten Championships are in Penn State this year. So um, we're a lot over the Big Ten, but we're hosting a lot of meets this year. That's great. Pretty awesome. Our schedule last year did not. Yeah, and the Big Ten—they've—they've they've really uh, turned things around, right? I know I'm from—I'm a Maryland fan. Are they also competing in gymnastics in the Big Ten? Yep, they have a girls' team, and so does Rutgers has a girls' team. But um, we're 17 strong in the Big Ten for men, and then the girls' teams are going to have like 13 or 14 after Maryland come in. So okay. that's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. 13 or 14 in the Big Ten. <laughs> wow, I know. Of course, it makes sense. It's not branding yeah, or anything. We're good. <laughs> that's great. Well, just it's been an honor to have you on. I mean, listening to your your life growing up your parents, how they met, just some special stories there and in all the grit and determination. Of course the the, the honor of your, your father being in the military, going to West Point and just some great stories there. And listening to you as an athlete and as a coach and somebody who's come through the ups and downs of the sport but continues to drive and and have so many others that you're affecting their lives right now. I really want to congratulate you and, and welcome you to our team. We have a great team over here at Who Are You Nation and uh, yeah, no injuries. We have no injuries over here. We're, we're going strong. <laughs> So well, if you ever get frustrated and stuck because you're doing too much rehab from, we can help out. Yeah, I'll bet you can. I'll bet you can. Well, I know uh, I know I've had you on the phone here for a while. I appreciate you coming on. If there's any last story you'd like to tell, we have an exclusive part of our show where we go behind the scenes. It could be anything at all, Justin. It could be about a moment you had coaching, that moment right before competition. Um, you know, what are you feeling at a certain point? It could just be a special moment. I always like to say some people know about it, so you feel comfortable talking about it. But it just doesn't come up that often if no one asks you. I think that by the nature of what it is to be an Olympic team member in the United States and that it's not a career for 99% of the people that make the Olympic team, um, in 08, we called ourselves the team of volunteers. Team of volunteers, because we are. I mean, I had a full-time job in addition to training to try to be the best in the world to win a medal for the United States. Every other place in the world, let me take that back, most other top countries that win medals at the Olympics are funded heavily. Who are you, nation? Our guest is ready to go inside the locker room. Are you? Gain exclusive access to the story as well as those from all of our guests. Visit whoareyousports.com where there is a page dedicated especially for all of our listeners at Who Are You Nation. Until next time, please remember, both in sports and in life, that it's not all about the scoreboard. 
so much as it is about our dedication to becoming a better teammate, healthier person, and adopting an efforts-over-results mindset.